Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Kenwal Sarai. Kenwal is the founder of Simply Investing and publisher of Simply Investing Report. Kenwal's straightforward, no-jargon approach helps everyday people to grow their net worth by investing in dividend value stocks. With a passion for investing and teaching, he demystifies the complex world of investing for those seeking to invest for themselves. In my interview with Conwall, we discuss how he was able to pay off the mortgage on his first home in only five years, how to use dividends to help pay down your mortgage faster, and how quickly someone could burn their mortgage using dividends. Without further ado, here's my interview with Kenwal Sarai. Hi, Kenwal. How are you doing today? Doing very well, uh, Sean. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Awesome. Looking forward to a very interesting discussion about real estate and dividends, something that we haven't talked about on the podcast. So super excited about that. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Kenwal, can you explain to our listeners how you were able to pay off the mortgage on your first home in five years? Absolutely. That's a great question. My wife and I had started investing in uh, dividend stocks even before we bought our first home. So we had about two years of investing uh, in stocks on our own. And then when we bought our home throughout the four years, uh, five years, and even, uh, you know, we lived in the house longer than that, we continued to save and put that money aside into dividend paying stocks. And so we ended up using a combination of dividends, capital gains, and some of our savings to make additional payments, lump sum payments towards the mortgage to pay it off faster. And so we were luckily able to to pay off the entire home in five years. Now, just for your listeners, full disclosure here, this was in Ottawa. So the house prices were a little better than they are in Toronto. Uh, And this was back in 99. And so we bought our first home. It was a small town home for $115,000. Now, to be fair, the salaries were also much lower back then, but uh, we were very happy to be able to pay that off in five years. Wow, I don't even think you could buy a micro condo in Toronto (laughs) these days, but still your principles, I would imagine, would still be relevant today. And I'm just curious, did you have some sort of celebration to to celebrate paying off your mortgage? No, we didn't. (laughs) In hindsight, we should have. We should have had a party or something. I think we were just very relieved to have it paid off. And I think we were more excited not to have to pay a mortgage every month. Uh, So that was kind of fun and interesting. And we kind of knew it was coming, right? So we were planning towards it. Even when we bought the house, we were thinking, you know, we need to pay this off sooner than later. And we didn't want to stick around with a 25, 30 year mortgage. But you're right. After having read your book, we should have had a party. (laughs) Well, amen to that on the 25 or 30 year amortization. I mean, you're preaching to the choir, but I totally am on the same page as you. So you mentioned investing in stocks and using dividends to help pay down your first mortgage. Can you explain to our listeners who might not be familiar what a dividend is? 
Absolutely. So a dividend is money that is paid to you for owning shares in a company. So for example, if a company, let's say, is paying a dividend of $1 per share, and that's an annual dividend, and you own 1,000 shares in this company, you will receive $1,000 in dividends every year for as long as you own those shares and as long as the company continues to pay that dividend. And the great thing is if that's in your TFSA, you're going to earn that dividend tax-free. Same thing in an RSP, be tax-free. You're free to do whatever you want with that money. You can reinvest it, you could save it. Or in my case, and what we did is we put that money towards paying down the mortgage a lot quicker. Wow, that's definitely a great idea. And would you be able to explain for our listeners about the preferential taxation of dividends? Because I've heard that they're taxed more favorably than, let's say, interest income. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have the exact numbers because the tax laws change every year, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. They are preferred to pay much less taxes on those. So like I said, in an RSP and a TFSA, it would be tax-free, but outside of a registered account, any dividends earned, you will have to pay taxes on them. But the great thing is, especially dividends from Canadian companies are taxed much lower, much lower than your salary, much lower than interest and much lower than capital gains. If someone was to offer you $1,000 as a raise or for your income or $1,000 in capital gains or $1,000 in interest or $1,000 in dividends, you're going to walk away at the end of the day with more money if that $1,000 came to you in the form of dividends. And in this case, Canadian dividends. Well, good to know if I ever have that scenario, I know <laughs> what, which option to go with. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of dividends, I'm just curious, is a dividend guaranteed when it's offered to you from a, a stock or a share? Yeah, great question. So this is something very important and, and it's, it's good for your listeners to know this. Dividends are not guaranteed, right? So a company can reduce the dividend at any time that they want, or they can even eliminate the dividend altogether if they run into financial problems. So what we do and what I do is we look at companies that have a history of paying dividends, and more importantly, a history of paying increasing dividends year after year after year. I can give you a couple of examples of companies like Canadian Utilities. They have been consecutively increasing dividends for the last 46 years. So that is incredible. Somebody like Enbridge, 23 years of consecutive dividend increases. And one more example, Canadian National Railway, 22 years of consecutively increasing dividends. Now think about what the stock markets have done in the last 22, 23, 46 years. Think about how many downturns we've had and recessions we've had. But companies like these have continued to not only pay dividends, but increase them year after year after year. So to get back to your question, is a dividend guaranteed? No. But we can look at the history of companies like this and have confidence that they will continue to pay us dividends in the future and continue to increase the dividends in the future. Well, that's definitely some great peace of mind to have. And certainly it's something that our listeners could consider if they're thinking of investing in a company offering paying dividends. Yeah, on the topic of dividends, I had another question. What happens to the dividend if the stock price by chance drops? Yeah, so this is a question I get a lot. People are always looking at stock prices. Uh, there's a lot of financial news and what I call noise uh, out there. And the internet has made it very easy to look up stock prices and stock prices change every second, every minute. 
when you look at them. And in the short term, stock prices go up and down all the time. In the example of Canadian National Railway, you know, if you look at their stock price over the last five years or seven years, you'll see the stock price drop sometimes by $5, even $10. I've seen it even $20 drop in the stock price. But they continue to increase dividends year after year. They've got 22 years of consecutive dividend increases. So how do they do that? The dividend is paid out from the earnings, right, from the profits. So as long as the company is profitable and their earnings continue to go up every year, they can continue to pay the dividend. So regardless of the stock price. So in the example I talked about earlier, if you were to buy a thousand shares in a company that was paying you a dollar dividend, you would get a thousand dollars every year. Now let's assume the share price was, I don't know, $10. If you bought it today for $10, you're going to get a dollar dividend for every share you own. If the stock price drops tomorrow to $5, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get your dividend. If the stock price goes up to 12, you're still going to get your dividend. So the dividend is not tied to the stock price. Well, that's good to know. Thanks for explaining that. So Ken, well, what do you say to people that think investing in stocks is risky? So yeah, that's another question that people have often, especially when you tell them that you're investing in stocks. And so the first question is, well, isn't that risky? Isn't that like gambling your money away? It's going to be risky if you don't know what you're doing, right? So that's what gets a lot of folks into trouble, especially if they're going on the advice of friends or colleagues and putting their hard-earned money into stocks that they don't know anything about, or even stocks that, in my case, you know, as you can tell by now, I'm favor dividend-paying stocks because I like to get a return on my money while I'm invested. A lot of the risk can be taken away by knowledge and information. And the more you know, you're going to be able to make better decisions and lower the risk. And so what I teach and what I've been practicing for many years is to look at companies that are recession-proof, right? So for example, it's wintertime now, it's cold. First thing you do when you get home is you turn the heat on. Let's say if you were to get laid off or there was a chance you would get laid off from your work, you're probably not going to go out and buy a new car, right? But you still need to eat. You still need to have a place to sleep. You still turn the lights on at night. (laughs) So those are the kind of companies we look at, the ones that are recession-proof, that are going to be around for a very long time. Uh, We also look at companies that have low debt, And we look at companies that are profitable, right? And as the profitability continues to go up, we know that they're going to keep paying us dividends. So all of those things lower the risk of investing in stocks, but it all starts with education. No, that's a great way that you put it. And certainly I've heard people say in terms of stocks that paid dividends, an interesting story that I heard was Kevin O'Leary said that his mother actually invested a lot of her money in stocks that paid dividends. And he said that was one of the best decisions that she ever made. And certainly some people see stocks as risky, but I certainly think that by investing in stocks that pay dividends, you can kind of offset some of that risk since you have that steady stream of income. Absolutely. And I can share with you very quickly uh, my own personal story. In 2000, I purchased 185 shares of uh, TransCanada. At the time, the shares were trading at $13.40. Multiply that by 185 shares, that's $2,479. So that's how much I invested into the stock. And so the risk, you know, the worst case scenario is the company could go bankrupt and I could lose $2,479. The dividend at the time was 80 cents a share, which isn't a lot. But the power here is in the increasing dividends. And so TransCanada has increased their dividend every single year 
since I've owned this stock. Today, the dividend is $2.76 a share. It started at 80 cents. Now it gets even better. Remember, I invested $2,479. Since then, I have received over $5,500 in dividends alone. Wow, that's, that's like double what you initially invested. Absolutely. So the risk now has been eliminated, right? So the stock, t- I haven't checked recently. I think the stock was at 50 or $60 a share. So if the stock drops to $40 tomorrow, it doesn't really matter to me because I've already made my money back almost twice almost, right? Your risk is going to get less and less as the company continues to increase dividends over time. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a bit about TransCanada and some of the challenges they've had with the low price of oil, but it's very impressive that they've been increasing their dividends so much. I guess they want to keep their shareholders happy like yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, we can use that money to pay off the mortgage sooner. So that's (laughs) icing on the cake. (laughs) Awesome. That, That actually segues perfectly to my next question. So how quickly could someone burn their mortgage using dividends? Great question. So that's going to depend on a a number of factors, right? How big is the mortgage? How much are they able to save and invest in, in my case, save and invest in dividend stocks before they even get to the point of buying a home? And then while they've owned the home, again, how much are they able to make additional payments towards the mortgage? So the best example is uh, what we had posted up on your website back in December. And I'll just take a couple of seconds here to give the, the example that we used in your post. Assuming somebody takes out a mortgage for $500,000, and we've used uh, just a rate of 3.99%, the interest rate, and we've amortized that over 25 years. And using the example of just owning four stocks and taking those dividends and making a lump sum payment every year with those dividends, we were able to take that mortgage from 25 years and pay it off in 20.9. So we saved a, a little more than four years. More importantly, we ended up saving the individual who saves $129,000. We cut four years off their mortgage. So that's just one example. And it'll vary depending on, again, the size of the mortgage and how much money you have. But that's huge, right? Who couldn't use an extra $129,000 in their bank account? Gosh, I should probably add that as another tip to burn your mortgage sooner in the next edition of my book. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but... Couldn't I achieve the same results with index funds? Again, great question. Index funds have been getting a lot of publicity in the media and a lot of people are promoting index funds. And I think index funds might work for some people, especially if you're not interested in about learning how to invest on your own or you don't have the desire or the time or the inclination to do so. I think index funds are certainly a lot better than keeping money under your mattress. (laughs) But there's four issues that I have with index funds. Before I, I mention that, what I like to do and what I've been teaching and practicing myself is I like to buy stocks when they're undervalued, right? Stock prices go up and down all the time. And if you can buy a stock when it's undervalued, you're going to do much better in the long term right? And there's a very quick way to figure out if a stock is undervalued or overvalued. So what we do is we look at the current dividend yield and we compare it to the average dividend yield for the stock. So if the current dividend yield is higher than its, let's say, 10-year average dividend yield, then the stock is undervalued. And ever since we started, my wife and I started investing in stocks, we have only purchased, and to this day, we only purchase stocks that are undervalued, right? So that's key. It's common sense. So back to the question about index funds. 
So an index fund, for example, an S&P 500 index fund, it's going to go out and buy, you know, take your money and pool it together with other investors. And the index fund goes out and buys little pieces of sort of the 500 biggest stocks in the U.S. So here are the four issues that I have with it. Number one, not all of those 500 stocks today are undervalued, right? So you're inadvertently buying overvalued stocks. So that's going to hurt you, you know, in the long term. Number two, out of those 500 stocks, not all of them pay dividends, right? So that's the other thing, right? I'm not interested in investing in a stock that is not going to pay me a dividend, right? Because I'm not getting a return on my investment for holding the stock. And then I'm just relying on the share price, hoping that the share price is going to go up, right? So that's number two. Number three, we touched on it briefly, right? In the beginning, I want to invest in companies that are recession proof, that are going to be around for a long time, that have low debt, that have a history of profitability. And even today, if you look at the 500 stocks in the US, not all of them, or we could do the same thing with Canada, TSX, right? There's index funds for TSX as well. Not all of those companies are profitable, right? You can look at any of those, a number of stocks today and see that the earnings per share are negative, right? So when I see a negative earnings per share, it means the company is losing money and I don't want to invest in that stock. But again, if you buy an index fund, you're inadvertently buying stocks that are not profitable. And last and but not least, number four is you're still paying fees. Now, I know the fees on index funds are much, much lower, right? We have a history in Canada of paying some of the highest mutual fund fees in the world. So index fund fees are much lower. And they're not going to make a big difference if you're starting to invest in, with $5,000 or $10,000 or even thirty dollars or $40,000. But once you start hitting six figures and your portfolio grows to a hundred thousand dollars, three hundred or half a million dollars or more, then the fees are going to start really having a negative impact on your earnings. So because of those four things, I personally don't invest in index funds. And I think there's a better approach for most people. No, you make a very great argument. And I just had a question. I do own index funds myself, but in terms of dividends, let's say some of these stocks within the index funds pay dividends. I mean, it's not as obvious owning these index funds, whether I receive some sort of payment as if it, I just owned the individual stock and had the dividends come directly to me and be paid to me. But do I actually receive any sort of dividend payment when I own an index fund? How, how does that work exactly? Yeah. So that depends on the index fund. And some of them will take the dividends and just deposit it into your account. And you would see that as, uh, as money, as additional money that comes into the account. But a lot of the index funds, what they do is they reinvest that back into additional funds. So at the end of the year, you're just going to have more index funds. They reinvest it back into the fund. So you don't actually see the dividend coming to you. That makes sense. And what's your approach with dividends? It, it sounds like you might not necessarily reinvest it. You might take the money. What, what do you typically do? Or does it kind of depend on what your financial goals are, whether you want to just reinvest it or actually take the dividend and put it in your bank account? Yeah. So in the early days, again, with the example of our first home, we were in a rush. We wanted to pay the mortgage off as quickly as possible. So we were using the dividends to help pay the mortgage off, right? But you have that choice. Like I said in the beginning, you have the dividends are yours to keep. So you can spend that money if you wish. You can reinvest it or pay down the mortgage. So what you're alluding to is similar to what we talked about with index funds. With individual stocks, you can sign up for what they call a DRIP, a dividend reinvestment plan. 
And so some companies offer that. And what they'll do is instead of paying you the dividend, they'll just give you more shares in the company. I don't recommend that. And for the simple reason, I like to buy stocks when they're undervalued. So if I've bought a company at $50 a share and they're paying me dividends, and today the stock is trading at $100 a share, I would rather take those dividends and reinvest it into another company that's undervalued. I don't want to be buying the same company at $100 because the company is now overvalued. So I don't participate in dividend reinvestment plans. I pool the dividends together. And when there's enough money there, I will buy whatever is undervalued at that time. Great. Thanks for explaining that. And that actually ties in great with our next question. When is the best time to start investing and earning dividends. And I've heard the joke that the best time to start investing was yesterday. But yeah, in terms of that, when's the best timing? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There's some truth to that, right? So to answer your question, the sooner the better, right? When it comes to investing, there's two things that everybody needs. You have to have time and money. And for millennials, they may not have that much money, but they've got time on their hands. Like they've got more time to invest. That's what, I'm, what I meant to say. So the sooner you can start investing, even if it's a small amount, even if it's $500 or $1,000, start investing, start taking advantage of the growing dividends because it takes years and years and years to start seeing substantial returns from dividends. So the sooner you can start, the better off you're going to be. And we mentioned this in the, in the blog post, right? Back in December, don't wait till it's time for you to buy your first home, right? Start investing sooner than later. And then by the time you get to a point in your life where you're looking at buying a home, then you've got enough dividends there to help you uh, either make a down payment or make some lump sum payments over the years. Well, you've got me all excited. So I just wanted to finish up with my last question. What's the best way for someone to start investing? So the best way to start investing, and this goes back to our question at the very beginning, the key to sort of minimizing the risk when it comes to, to investing in stocks is to educate yourself, right? So that's the big thing. You have to learn how to, and we touched on a number of things today. How do you know when a stock is undervalued, right? So we look at the current dividend yield, make sure it's greater than its average dividend yield. How do you look for companies that are recession-proof, companies that have low debt, companies that are profitable, so you need to educate yourself on that, right? And I've been helping Canadians for the last 12 years, teaching them how to invest responsibly and how to do it safely. And that's where it starts. There's a lot of resources online. So you could Google, you know, value investing or dividend value investing. There's lots of books written on that topic. So you can certainly go out there and do it yourself, or you can come and see somebody like me and we can teach you in two and a half hours. It really is that simple. And I tell people all the time, it's so easy that a nine-year-old could do it. People laugh when I say that, but I've had both of our children, both my son and daughter, they started investing when they were nine. My son is 16 now and my daughter is 12 and they both have their own stock portfolio uh, and they've been earning dividends uh, for a number of years now. And that's how easy it is uh, to get started. Gosh, I think I was collecting Pokemon cards back then. I certainly <laughs> wish somebody taught me about investing in dividends instead. <laughs> so the sooner you can start, the better it is. <laughs> Great. Well, on that note, Ken, well, it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show, Sean. Yeah, I let people know about my website, simplyinvesting.com. So have a look there. I've got a course. It's two and a half hours. It's five video modules you could watch if you want to learn how to start investing on your own. And if you don't have time to take the course, I've got a monthly report where I track 200 stocks every month and I tell you exactly which ones are undervalued and exactly which ones are overvalued today. And they're all dividend paying stocks, but we'll tell you which ones are profitable and quality stocks to look at. Awesome. Well, your course sounds really amazing. So I definitely encourage all my listeners to check it out. So great. Thanks very much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.